0: Well, good morning. Uh, Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm hoping my voice is going to hold out. I may have been screaming at a ball game last night. But uh, today we are in week two of a five-week sermon series that we're calling The Enemies of Gratitude. The Enemies of Gratitude. And what we're doing is that we're looking at some of the Scripture passages from the lectionary readings and we're calling out some of the things that can keep us from being truly grateful. We are listing or naming some of the things that keep us from seeing the blessings that are all around us right here and right now. Last week, we suggested that one of the things that keep us from uh, being grateful is nostalgia. If we're always thinking that the past is better than the present, we're going to miss the things that we have to be grateful for in the present. So, if you didn't get a chance to be here last week, I encourage you to go online and, and to watch that sermon. <clears> oh, <throat> thank you so much. Um, so, today we're going to look at this passage from Philippians chapter 4 verses 1-9, through nine, and the title of the sermon today is Worry. Worry. Worry is absolutely one of those things that can prevent us from being truly grateful. It is absolutely one of those things that can keep us from seeing the blessings that are all around us, even in the present moment. I want to begin by sharing with you some sobering statistics. They come from a book that I read recently by Max Licato. He wrote it about six years ago, and it's called, the book is entitled Anxiety for Nothing. And he shares some of these statistics. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, anxiety disorders are soaring to epidemic proportions. In fact, every single year in America, 50 million Americans will experience what can be classified or qualified as an an anxiety disorder. In fact, when it comes to mental health, the number one mental health problem for women in America today is anxiety. It's number three for men only behind alcohol and drug addiction. Anxiety is something that all of us wrestle with. In fact, according to the research that's available to us, no country in the world is more anxious than the United States of America. Does that not blow you away? No place on the planet experiences more anxiety, higher amounts of anxiety, than right here in the good old U.S. of A. And it's very, very costly. According to this data that Max Licato prints in his book, we are going to sp- uh, uh, it's going to come at a cost of over $300 billion, with a B, with ab dollars Anxiety disorders creating medical bills, creating a lack of productivity, absenteeism in the workplace. It is a huge, huge problem. Did you know that antidepressant prescriptions have doubled in recent years? And one of the interesting things that I learned when I was working in the conference office before I returned back to the local church... Do you want to know what the number one prescribed medication for clergy are? Antidepressant medication. It knows no uh, boundaries. Everybody experiences it. We're even experiencing it with our children. Our our children uh, are, according to this data, our children experience as much anxiety today as people who were admitted to psychiatric hospitals experienced in the 1950s. People are three times more likely to be depressed in America in 2023 than in any previous generation. We are really struggling with this anxiety, just constantly being worried. And so it, it begs the question, why is... We, this anxiety problem so prevalent in America? Well, before I get to that, let me tell you that in every other country of the world, especially in the lesser developed countries, you are, they experience one-fifth the amount of anxiety that you and I experience. And for those of you who have migrated to America uh, from other less developed countries, I've got some bad news for you. You weren't stressed when you left, but you will become stressed once you get here. Because what the studies now reveal is that it doesn't matter. As soon as you come and begin to assimilate into American culture, your anxiety, even if you came from a place that really seldom struggles with anxiety, begins to go up exponentially. Well, one of the reasons why uh, they say that America experiences worry and anxiety so much today is because the world is changing so quickly. And, and it's kind of hard to keep up with all of the changes. Those of us have been around a while, we can remember when change didn't happen nearly as quickly as it happens today. So it's happening quickly, and not only is it hard for us to keep up, but it's also hard for us to to guess where it's going, to guess where we're headed. And and so that creates a lot of worry. It creates a lot of anxiety in people. Uh, Another reason why America is so prone to worry and anxiety is because we like to think of ourselves as self-reliant because of our relative affluence as it relates to the rest of the world, because of our uh, academic uh, availabilities that other places in the world don't have, uh, we think that everything depends upon us. We've been taught that, that you, you are in charge of your own destiny. You make it happen. And, and so it has put this huge burden of worry on all of us. One final thing that I'd like to talk to you about is that uh, another reason why America is so prone to worry and so prone to anxiety is because we are moving at such a fast pace in our lives nowadays that we don't stop to rest and we don't stop to reflect on what's going on. So, while there are lots of things to be worried about in the world we live in today, when we don't stop to rest and reflect on the goodness of God and on God's presence and upon God's power and God's providence, we only see the stuff to worry about and we don't see all of the things in the present moment that we have to be grateful for. When you and I get so wrapped up in worry, and and that consumes all of our thoughts, we become less likely to see all of the blessings that are around us right here and right now. I think that's kind of what's going on in our scripture lesson this morning from Philippians. Now, uh of all the churches that Paul started, I think the Philippian church may have been his favorite. Now, I can't say that for sure. I'm sure that he loved all of the churches that he pastored, but, but he loved the Philippian church. He was visiting with them at least three times. Um, he talked about how much he appreciated their financial support of him and his ministry. He Affirmed their faith. Uh, he uh, uh, applauded their perseverance. He he referred to them as his joy. He he even called them the crowning jewel of his ministry. He loved the Philippian church, but now he's in prison. And that has affected his ability to pastor the Philippian church in the way that he would like to. He can't provide them with the leadership that he had so desperately wanted to provide them as he's sitting in a jail cell. And not only is he now in jail and he can't be with them in the same way that he would like to be with them, he's also begun to hear while he's in jail that the Philippian church is struggling. Uh, The joy that they had when they were first created as a community of faith appears to be waning. And, and, And he's also hearing that not only are they experiencing pressures from without, false teachers and false preachers coming in, trying to influence them in ways that Paul does not believe is of God, But he's also identified pressures within. Uh, People are starting to disagree. They're not getting along. And I told Claudia, I wasn't going to say those two women's name in that Scripture. I was going to let her stumble through them. But we've reached a point where Paul is seeing that, that there's pressures from without And there's pressures from within. And so Paul has written this letter to the Philippian church because Paul wants to encourage them. And and one of the things that Paul wants to tell them to do is what Hannah taught us and our children this morning. Paul wants to remind them to what? Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, it sounds foreign that somebody who's sitting in a jail cell would actually tell uh, people to rejoice or that he could actually rejoice himself. And so what Paul begins to do in the letter to the Philippian church is to say to them, I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not doing. I'm not asking you to believe anything other than what uh, uh, I believe. Uh, I, too, like you, know what it's like to be full of worry." I too know what it's like to be full of anxiety. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten on multiple occasions. I've been thrown in jail on multiple occasions. I've been run out of town. I've been persecuted for my faith. I've experienced all sorts of hardships ever since I said yes to Jesus on the road to Damascus. And yet, I still rejoice in the Lord. What Paul is trying to communicate to the Philippian church is that while happiness may depend on the external circumstances, things that happen to you, joy does not. Joy comes from knowing that even in the midst of all of your worries, even in the midst of all of your anxieties, even in the midst of all the struggles that you face, God is with you. God is at work in your life and in this situation. God will lead you to a better place. God will work for good in even the most difficult of circumstances. You can rejoice. You don't need external circumstances to make you joyful. It is a byproduct of knowing that God is always with you. Rejoice in the Lord. And then he tells them, Don't worry. Now, I worry about not having things to worry about. And Paul is sitting here saying, You shouldn't worry about anything. What's he mean by that? What, what Paul wants you to do is to, He's not discounting your worry. He's not trying to tell you to act like it doesn't exist. He's not telling you to just put on a happy face. He's not telling you to just think happy thoughts. What what he's saying is, is that you've got stuff to worry about. I've got stuff to worry about. But let's not worry about it. Let's not spend all of our time thinking about those things. Instead, let's pray about it. And, and he doesn't say to just pray about it. He says to be thankful. Because Paul wants us to, to, to pray and he wants us, when we're praying, he wants us to see that even in the midst of all the struggles, even in the midst of all the worry, that we still have things to be thankful about. We still have things to be thankful grateful for we still have blessings all around us if we will just open our eyes and not let our worry keep us from seeing those things for which to be grateful but how do you do that i mean we've all got worries that we could list for days how in the world do do we do we turn our attention away from those worries just enough to be able to see that there are things in our life for which to be grateful. The best illustration was one that I read in that Max Licato book, uh, Anxious for Nothing, that I referred to at the beginning of the sermon. He talks about a man named Jimmy. He's 78 years old. His wife, Ginger, is in late stages Parkinson's disease. They had these great dreams of how they were going to spend their retirement years traveling to different places, experiencing different things. Included in those dreams of traveling weren't trips to the doctor's office and to the hospital. And and experiencing different things wasn't a steady dose of treatments and medicines and all of the things that come from Uh, living with Parkinson's disease. And so, yet this Jimmy, 78 years old, always had a smile on his face, always had a good joke to tell, and is always sharing things that he was grateful for. And so one day, Max Lucado just asked him, how in the world can you be so happy? How in the world can you always have a joke to tell? How in the world can you always be describing things for which you're grateful when you are walking the road with your wife, Ginger, that you are walking? And he responded this way. He said, every morning when my wife, Ginger, gets up, I always ask her, what song does she want to sing today? We begin every day singing a song, and every single morning, when I ask my wife, Ginger, with late stages Parkinson's disease, what song is it that you want to sing? She says, I want to sing Count Your Blessings. And every single morning, Jimmy and his wife, Ginger, greet the day by singing Count Your your blessings name them one by one count your blessings and see what God has done they still have plenty in their life to worry about they, are, they never forget not for one second that this woman is living out the final days of her dying with late stages Parkinson's disease and yet they have made a conscious decision Not to focus on that that could bring much worry and anxiety to their life. Uh, Instead, they have chosen to focus on what they have to be grateful for. Parkinson's may be taking her life, but she has the love of her husband, she has the love of God, she has the love of friends. They could focus on how they're not going to get maybe as much time as they would like, but instead they focus on having the present moment and what it means. They have chosen to not let worry rob them from seeing the things in the present moment that they can be grateful for. To see the blessings in the right here And the right now. Maybe it's as simple as that. Regardless of the worries that you and I have in our life, if we would just get up in the morning and ask ourselves, what song do we want to be on our lips today? And it's count your blessings, name them one by one, regardless of what you're facing. I bet you still have things for which you can be grateful.